into our last chapter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had looking at this book, for the time that we've been able to spend on our own reading it, and for the time that we've had to be able to discuss it. I pray that as we finish this book, that the lessons learned would stick, that we would be more thoughtful in how we come to prayer. We prepare our hearts the words that we use help us to be intentional. And Lord, I pray that we would have both the right motives and the proper faith that you require to come to you. And Lord, I pray that we would realize that one of the primary reasons you saved us was so that we would pray for your work to be done in this world by saving the lost. Use us, Lord. Use us to be tools in your hand through prayer and through testimony and through witnessing. May you be exalted through your saving work. Pray this, Father, for your glory. All right. <clears throat> Who had an opportunity to read the chapter within the last seven days? All right, most everybody. It was a longer chapter, but I thought it's doable. So, I think we can summarize the whole chapter with the fact that we need to pray for the lost. And as we go through it, there is repetition. However, there are some good speed bumps, I think, to slow down and to consider uh, both what Scripture says and what others have written about praying for the lost. I was listening to a message this morning on uh, Matthew 17, I shared it in the Brothers at Arms chat, Brothers at Arms chat group, and I don't know if anybody had time to listen to it. I don't anticipate that, that they would. Uh, I'm going to share it in the email to everybody um, because I think it complements greatly everything that we've been talking about in regards to prayer, in regards to praying for the lost, and it's called The Power of Faith. And wow. It was powerful. Um, I'd never heard the way he explained uh, faith, work, God working through our faith. And it was, he was, um, in Matthew, at the end of Matthew 17, it's when the man brings his epileptic son, where he says the demon has thrown him in the fire and the water, and he's dumb, and so all this stuff, and he, so he, he looks at all the accounts from all the Gospels that talk about it, and he explains what Jesus meant by, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you'd be able to tell this mountain to move into the sea, and it would do it. Because I've heard that explained in many ways, and none of them made sense, and the way he explained it made so much sense 
I was rejoicing all day. So I highly recommend listening to it because, again, it'll complement everything that we've been reading in this book. And uh, there's a little bit extra, uh, some things that we hadn't talked about yet. So I will send that out uh, if you're not in the Brothers at Arms group. But if you are, you have it already. All right, Praying for the Lost, page 167. Anyone have anything on the first page that jumped out to them? I know Jonathan always has something, so... Anyone besides Jonathan have something so far? I appreciate that you always have something. Bruce? Yeah, and so I underlined before that, for, for context, I'll read that. The soul winner must be a master of the art of prayer. You cannot bring souls to God if you go not to God yourself. You must get your battle axe and your weapons of war from the armory of sacred communication with Christ. I wonder how often we think and we talked a little bit about this last week. I wonder how often we think we can wake up and just go and do things and honor God without coming to him first. And I think this puts it in perspective. What are we thinking? What are we thinking when we don't stop to acknowledge God, to uh, intercede for others, to request his assistance um, each day, what makes us think that we can do anything that would honor him? I've been thinking a lot about this for the last couple weeks, and it seems so simple that we either take it for granted or ignore it, and that is that if we're doing anything apart from praying, I don't know, number one, that God desires to use it if we're not acknowledging him. And number two, that he would provide any assistance if we're not asking. Now, that goes to the question, do we have to ask every moment of every day for his help? I wouldn't say that. But at the same time, when you go to work, how do you keep record if you paid hourly that you work? You arrive at a certain time in preparation for that work. So in a sense, it's not a perfect analogy, but in a sense, before we attempt to do work, we need to get to the place where we can do that work 
and God can do that work, and I think that is through prayer. Any thoughts on that or anything else on the first page there? Yeah, and it, not as a, not as a uh, I mean, most of us, not all, but most of us, I'm sure, if we have to punch a clock, do it begrudgingly, do it because we have to, not because we want to. This uh, should be something that we want to do. Again, realizing that we need to do it. Sandra, did you have your hand raised? And later in the chapter, he talks about, we see examples of <clears throat> praying for uh, broad swaths of people. And I struggle with that personally, not to say that I don't do it, but I'm convinced that we should pray as specific as possible. And it seems, if we just say, Lord, save lost people. It doesn't seem like there's enough specific to see him work in that. If we say, Lord, purify your church, again, both good sentiments, but how do we see him working in doing that thing? So my conclusion at this point is it's not that we can't ever or should not ever pray broadly, though we should still be as specific as possible, um, when possible. You know, praying for all the believers in Michigan, praying for all the believers in India or Peru uh, or wherever, you know, I think makes sense, or unbelievers in those areas, right? But to say, you know, God save the lost seems like a uh, I don't want to say a pointless prayer but uh, a hard one to to answer to see the results of it and I, I do believe that one of the main reasons we pray is so that we can see God answer that prayer and uh, that's one of the things that really hit me about that message that I shared. He, he explains, again, how God is working through prayer and through our faith. And uh, it's, it's amazing to, to, uh, to realize. So I'm going to keep teasing it, hoping that you guys listen to it. <laughs> and when you do, let me know. All right. Next page, 168, uh, we've got a continuing of this quote from Spurgeon. Anything on 168, anybody underlined? Okay. 
starting where? Okay. Why don't you read that? Yeah, and so the, la the last uh, section there, he says, I fear there are others whose hands are slack, who are satisfied to let me preach, but do not themselves preach, who take these seats and occupy these pews and hope the cause goes well, but that is all they do. May that never be the case for any of us. Anything else on 168? Okay, 169. Jonathan? Okay. Wonderful testimony. I think, in a, in a sense, I've yearned to have a death like that and to be faithful like that. All right, 170. Trent? Yeah, and he goes into that a little bit more. Uh, next paragraph, he says, the central function of the church on earth is to reach the lost. So, again, if, if we know, number one, God saves us and does not take us to, right to heaven because he has work for us to do, we need to be about that work. And being about that work involves prayer, obviously not doing it in our own strength. And it is a great thing to have the opportunity to to know that we have God's ear, number one, and to know that he is desiring to use our prayers to not only change us, but to save the lost. What an amazing thing to consider that he wants to use us, that we have the opportunity to someday be in heaven, and maybe we don't ever learn of somebody's salvation that we prayed for while we're on earth, but we do when we get to heaven. I mean... I've, I've tried to encourage the kids 
when we go to the grocery store or when we're driving someplace, look at strangers. Just pick one. Pray for them. Who knows? You might meet them in heaven someday. What a glorious thing that would be. All right, 171. I underline almost the whole page. Anyone else have something on 171? Sure. Yeah, and I don't think there's a one-for-one one correlation, but there is definitely a correlation. If we are not taking opportunities to give the gospel to those that we live by, work with, or encounter in other areas, and the church as a whole is not... I struggle with with this aspect of things. I don't think, oh, so let me put, let me, I'll approach it this way. The church as a whole is not praying for the proper growth in those opportunities. We're not likely to see much. It's not likely that if none of us pray, if none of us take opportunities to witness that we're gonna have visitors. But it's very likely if we are praying and we are seeking opportunities to share the gospel, that we will have visitors. And the goal is not a specific number. The goal is to be faithful and to know that God will do the building. I like what he said here the end of that top paragraph on 171. As we look on the masses of lost humanity, the enormity of the need should drive us to our knees in evangelistic prayer. And I won't read this whole quote, whole quote but wow. This, this quote here was definitely hard-hitting. Actually, you know what? I'm going to read it. <laughs> I think it's so good. Oh, if you have the hearts of Christians or of men in you, let them yearn towards your poor, ignorant, ungodly neighbors. Alas, there is but a step betwixt them and death and hell. Many hundred diseases are waiting ready to seize on them, and if they die unregenerate, they are lost forever. Have you hearts of rock? I was trying to understand <laughs> Have you hearts of rock 
that cannot pity men in such a case as this? If you believe not the word of God and the danger of sinners, why are you Christians yourselves? If you do believe it, why do you not bestir yourself to the helping of others? Do you not care who is damned so you be saved? If so, you have sufficient cause to pity yourselves, for it is a frame of spirit utterly inconsistent with grace. Dost thou live close by them, or meet them in the streets, or labor with them, or travel with them, or sit and talk with them, and say nothing to them of their souls, or the life to come? If their houses were on fire, thou wouldst run and help them, and wilt thou not help them when their souls are almost at the fire of hell? Very convicting. I'm going to Nashville next week. And I was just thinking about this as I was reading that. I need to start praying now that I will have opportunities with those I travel with and those I encounter to talk about eternity. So consider where are you going tomorrow? the next day, next week. Start praying now for the potential people that you will encounter. All right, 172. Oh, no. We're, we're past that, Norma. Can't go backwards. Okay. One seventy two. Jonathan, do we fully realize? Yeah, so let me read all those. Those are all good questions for us to consider. <clears throat> Do we fully realize the desperate condition the lost are in? Do we really want to see God glorified by the salvation of souls? Do we sympathize with the compelling reality of their lost souls, both for time and eternity? Are we thankful the gospel message is extended to all and for our privilege of sharing it? If those components are lacking in our hearts, we will be indifferent. Often we are indifferent simply because we are not obedient to those urgings. One seventy three, the scope of evangelistic prayer. 
Okay, 174. I'm guessing we have a little disagreement here? No. I oh, okay. So I know you've brought that up before, and I guess I would say I wasn't, no, just with the church and how he handled that. So I can only speak on what I have heard him say and what I've heard Phil Johnson say about how they approach that, and it seems like they approached it the right way in that they said, okay, the staff are still going to show up and preach and we'll record it and you can still listen from home and the people came anyways and they didn't lock the doors and lock people out they didn't tell people to leave once they came so I don't know that they were defiant in how they approached it uh, I know that people showed up and so I mean not that this point matters, but they won the lawsuit against the state saying that they should be able to assemble. Um, so, I don't know. It doesn't seem like they were defiant and said, we're going to meet anyways. It seems like they said, we're going to keep preaching, and people showed up. That's what it seems like. And so, if that's the case, I would say they did the right thing. I would say they they preached despite
that it would affect how men see us. Presence of holiness, tranquil and quiet life. Yeah, I, I, I did think about that aspect of it. The, the, if, if we do what is right, people will leave us alone. And I see that as more and more not the case. But I think we could argue that the vast majority of time, that probably is the case. So maybe a general rule. Um, I mean, so... So this country is uh, 1776, so 250 years old, right? So of the 250 years, how, how many of those years have Christians been uh, looked down upon and persecuted? I would say less than 50. I know I didn't live those 250 years, so I can't say for certain, but it seems like up until recently, I mean, obviously, we had a lot of things going on in this century where Christianity became popularized. Uh, so I'm not even saying that, but <clears throat> it seems like there, at minimum, there wasn't persecution for being a Christian for the majority of the time that this country has been in place. Obviously, there are countries that have always seemed to have issues, uh, you know, at different places and different times throughout the world. I don't know.
Sure. In our country. Right. Yeah. No, well, so I saw this video either today or yesterday, and it said, uh, tough times make tough men. Tough men bring upon easy times. Easy times make weak men, right? And so there's this cycle that you have to go through, and it almost seems, you know, that that cycle just continues to repeat itself. And apart from those times that are really hard, I guess it reminds me of um, uh, the, the verse in Proverbs. Train up your children in the way they should go, and they will not part from it. Uh, or in the way of the Lord, and they shall not depart from it. We can't say that's an absolute, right? But we can say it's a general rule. And so I guess I would liken it to that. It's a general rule where if we are seeking to honor God, people will see good in that. Uh, you know, if we're not living hypocritical, if we're living um, obediently, people will see that despite our circumstances and it will have an impact on them. And so I guess, so here's, here's something to ponder. Can we live a quiet life under persecution? Can we live a life where Christ's light is seen in us even under persecution? And I, right, so I, I think it's, it's probably in our, we want to say yes, right, but we don't know because we haven't lived it. So... Yeah, and he does. He did mention that in one spot, um, praying for those so that it will lead to. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I can't remember. Where, I don't remember if I underlined it or not, but it seems like he did point that out in one place at least. I think, too, maybe part of the challenge is we associate a quiet life with being able to do whatever we want, however we want, wherever we want. Right. So I'm wondering if maybe that's part of the disconnect, because I would imagine Christians in China view a quiet life different than we do.
lose. And that's not the point of this, but yeah, I know I understand what you're saying. We're gonna say something else. We have little regard for what has happened. Kind of get tunnel vision on what we only what we've experienced. So at the top of 174, he says, We should pray that all kings and all who are in authority would repent of their sins and believe the gospel. This is something that we started doing a couple years ago. I remember, uh, not the previous president, but the one before that, I was challenged to pray for him, and boy, did I struggle. Uh, and I, I think, you know, a lot of times when we pray for people that we don't agree with, we might be tempted to only pray imprecatory prayers. Uh, but God, I know this, God can give us a love for them. And as he said before, you know, do we understand God's grace? Do we understand who we were? Do we understand that we are no different than them? If we do, we can pray for them and we can truly desire their salvation. And it shouldn't just be presidents. It should be all the loss that we're aware of. And I heard a, an example, somebody saying, um, 
was a Christian commentator, he said, a lot of people are praying for Joe Rogan as an example because he has such a big audience. And they say, they think and say out loud, man, if God saved him, think about how many people would be saved. But then he pointed out the fact that God could save your next door neighbor and save more people than through Joe Rogan. Don't decide who God's going to use to bring many to himself. Pray for all the lost. Don't pray. Because in a sense, and I think it's understandable, but wrong for us to think this way, God's, God's ways are not our ways. We have to pray for the lost period and pray that God would use us and use them. And, you know, George Mueller never ran a country, but God used him mightily and others like him. All right, anything else on 174 or 75? And we will end there and finish next week. Okay? Absolutely. And I think we might be tempted in some regards to pray for the lost so that our lives would be easier. And that is wrong motivation. Our goal should be to pray to rescue them from the flames to come. And if that brings fellowship, great. If that um, resolves conflict, great. But it should be for a love of their eternal soul more than anything. All right. So we'll pick up on 175 next week. Father, you know our hearts where we are lazy, where we are hypocritical, where we are selfish where we are unfaithful. Please root these things from our lives. Help us to have the right desires, the right motivation, the right hearts to serve you in this life. Pray that our ambition would be for your glory, for the building of your kingdom, and not for our glory, the building of our kingdom. Father, work in us and through us. so that you would be glorified.